0: You're listening to Lunchtime Movie Review from lunchtimemoviereview.com, where we are the children of the 80s. and salutations welcome back to LunchtimeMovieReview.com. review.com we are the children of the 80s here for another for another movie review from our childhood i'm matt
1: i'm chris sancho
0: i'm bill (laughs) and i'm patrick and we are back again to review another one of our favorite films from the 80s Uh, but first a word from our sponsor This podcast is brought to you by Chainsaw Sex Toys. Is Strip Croquet just not getting it done? Try Chainsaw Sex Toys, and you'll have her saying... Fuck
2: me gently with the chainsaw.
0: ...all night long. Chainsaw Sex Toys for big fun. Who's got the review this week? Sorry, who's got the summary this week?
2: (laughs) I have a review and a summary this week. Bring them both,
0: Chris.
1: (laughs) We'll
2: start with the summary. Meet Veronica. She's got it all. It's a great pate, but I got a motor if I want to be ready for
3: that party tonight. So,
2: when you go to college, what subjects do you think of study? Her friends are the most popular girls in school.
1: I'm worshiped Westerberg, and I'm only a junior.
2: The coolest guys... I just want to get laid. ...want to date her. <laughs> she should be happy. <laughs> She's looking for something special. And one day she found him
1: Greetings and salutations Who's that guy in the coat think he is anyways? Who oh, did he? His name is Jason Dean
2: In the 1980s, teenage angst was defined by movies like Pretty in Pink Fast Times at Ridgemont High Ferris Bueller's Day Off and The Breakfast Club For the most part, these movies were light-hearted comedies that sprinkled in a small dose of teen issues that many children of the 80s could relate to By the end of the decade though The grunge scene was brewing and attitudes were changing. From this new perspective came a dark comedy, a twisted tale of love, murder, suicide, and the desire to be accepted. Welcome to the world of Heathers. Our story starts out with three best friends, all of whom hate each other. Heather Red, Heather Green, and Heather Yellow. They are the popular people that girls want to be and boys want to be with. Heather Red is the queen bitch that pushes the other Heathers to do her evil, like tricking the fattest girl into thinking the hottest jock is hot for her or asking her fellow classmates nonsensical survey questions at lunchtime. This girl is a rebel. The newest addition to the Heathers is Veronica Blue, an intelligent diary writer played by Winona Ryder. Oh, I want a writer. Winona Ryder. (coughs) Veronica Blue isn't fully buying into what Heather Red is selling, but desires popularity by any means possible. During a lunchtime Q&A, Veronica meets J.D. Black, played by the affable Christian Slater. J.D. is a screwed up little kid who watched too many Jack Nicholson movies as his mother committed suicide in front of him and just to escape her vile husband. JD was then raised by that that same husband and forced to travel from town to town. Maybe they moved because of work. Maybe it was because they were laying low from the law. We just don't know. But one thing is, is for certain, Veronica Blue falls head over heels for JD. Of course, our stereotypical football jocks, Ram Romo and his butt buddy in crime, Kurt, don't like this one bit and decide to have some fun with JD. They call him a fag and threaten to kick his tender little ass. But these two asshole lovers don't intimidate JD one bit. This is a man child used to eating breakfast 300 yards away from 4,000 Cubans trained to kill him. Instead, JD pulls out a gun and fires blanks at them. For those of you who didn't catch that, he pulls out a motherfucking gun and fires blanks at two students inside of a high school. Were the cops called? Nope. Was JD expelled? Not a chance. Did the teachers get together during an afternoon smoke and decide to make poor JD sit out of classes for a few days? They sure did. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? This movie should have ended right there, but we have another one hour and twenty five minutes to fill, so set the boy free and make him a hero. We've got some Columbine kids to inspire here. (laughs) (laughs) Too soon? Too soon? Too soon. (laughs) Too soon?
0: Not at all. <laughs> Let the boys speak, will you?
2: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, later that night, Heather Red takes Veronica to a lame frat party where uh, Heather Red gives some lucky guy a quick BJ in his bedroom, then Rat-head. gets mad at Veronica because she refuses to put out like a big girl. Heather Red vows to ruin Veronica's reputation at school the next day, so after a thorough fucking by the manacle JD, the two sneak into Heather Red's house and kill her with a potion, then make it look like a suicide. In death, Heather Red becomes even more popular at school when her sensationalized suicide is made out to be the final act of a misunderstood girl. The killings continue a few days later when Veronica and JD kill the two jocks, curtain ramrod in their blue underwear and make it look like a double suicide between two gay lovers. Their sensationalized suicide pact makes them out to be two misunderstood homosexuals in a straight sports world, just like Eli and Peyton. What a this d- is <laughs> <laughs> Too soon? <laughs> this inspires the fattest girl in school, Martha Dump Truck, to commit suicide to finally gain the popularity she so desires. But she screws it up and survives. And it's not a
1: Christian name, by the way. Dump Truck is not a <laughs> given it, name.
2: <laughs> it's ye Martha Dump Truck. Her Christian. <laughs> her mother, Fanny Forklift, must have been <laughs> devastated.
1: Hyphen <laughs> Forklift. <laughs>
2: Heather Yellow next follows suit when she tries to kill herself after Heather Green, who has now replaced the evil Heather Red, and tells the whole school about her calling on a radio program to discuss her depressed life. This Heather takes as many sleeping pills as she can fit into her tender little mouth, but Veronica swoops in from the blue and stops her. Veronica finally comes to her senses and jumps JD. He goes to her house to kill her, but finds Veronica hanging from a noose. Thinking she's dead, he tells her his plot to blow up the school and make it look like one big suicide. And if you're going to have one big suicide, then you need one big suicide note, and J.D. gets one. He convinces Heather Green to get the whole school to sign a fake petition, which turns out to be that note. The next day, J.D. places several explosive devices pretty much in plain sight under some very exposed bleachers. Veronica confronts J.D. downstairs in the boiler room, where he is planting the main bomb that will bring the house down during the weekly school pep rally. Veronica manages manages to wrestle the gun from J.D., where he is cinematically draped in blue light. Veronica shoots off his middle finger to the world. She makes J.D. turn off the timer to the bomb, which he eventually does with four seconds to spare. Four seconds, of course, being a metaphor for the four suicides that occurred at his hands, the last one being his own. JD ends his black life in the parking lot in front of the school with one last bomb that is taped to his body. The movie ends with a blossoming lesbian affair between Veronica Blue and Martha Dumbtruck. Fanny will never be the same.
3: You know, it's funny. I, I remember that movie a lot funnier than that summary, but that's okay. <laughs>
1: Actually, I thought the summary was about as long
4: as. (laughs) Oh
1: man! So
0: that is Heather's. Same person that picked Starman picked this one. Is that is that right? Weren't we we rules
3: Starman Starman in the thing? (laughs) (laughs) At least it wasn't a John Carpenter film. And
0: it was 1984. 1984. However, we're now about two weeks in a row with a Winona Ryder
1: vehicle. So the immortal.
2: I, I think this was kind of a sequel because didn't she leave that little Beetlejuice town and uh, decide to play almost the exact same character, writing in a diary in the dark? Nah, she was much more emo
3: and be- Beetlejuice.
0: Yeah, oh. I felt the same way. Her or the same way she would write with kind of the the voiceover was exactly the way she was writing in Beetlejuice. So I, I agree with you 100. percent It just feel like the just the same character that moved to this small town on Ohio from New New England.
2: Pretty cool that Otto showed up as the preacher. Yeah. <laughs> this time a gay man is a priest. Who would have thought?
0: <laughs> Very progressive in this uh, uh, Ohio town. When did when did this come out? Uh, it came out March 31st of
3: 1989. Uh, it was a really slow week for movies. Same week as uh, Caruso and a movie called Sing, which I barely remember.
0: <laughs> Caruso? I've uh, never even heard of that.
3: It had Aiden, Quint, or,
0: yeah, Aiden Quinn in it. Wait a minute. So. You said 88 or
3: 89? Eighty
1: nine. Is that before CSI?
3: <laughs> Way before C- CSI. Uh, also came out the same time as Cyborg, Dead Calm, The Dream Team, Major League, Say Anything, Troop Beverly Hills, and Fletch Lives. Uh, I grossed just over a million dollars. It so it was a really low grossing film. It was the hundred and sixty seventh highest grossing film of nineteen eighty nine. And so that puts it behind such monsters as High Hopes, Miracle Mile, and Valmont, and right in front of Heart of Dixie, Wired, and The Music Teacher. Yeah, they have a
0: name for movies like that. I think they're called Bombs. <laughs> yes.
2: Well, this one dropped the bomb a couple times.
1: A <laughs> couple F-bombs, too, with a the chainsaw. <laughs> they went all gap band. Hey, they, these ladies all look like real estate agents more than they look like high school girls. You think that was intentional? With the shoulder pads and the whole deal. I mean, Heather Duke, Heather McNamara, Heather Chandler. The Heather McNamara, the Heather number two, she looked like she was like 40 years old and was going to sell me a house because I wasn't buying her at all as a high school girl.
3: No, it's it's funny watching it on Blu-ray and the high definition. You definitely see the age of the actresses, with the exception of Winona Ryder. She's the only one, and Shannon Doherty looks pretty young too. She was.
1: You got a, a, yeah. You got a you got a pretty HD look at those choppers too. <laughs> yeah, you, you, <laughs> Last but time Winona, I saw teeth like that, man, I was I was at Kentucky Kentucky Derby with that thing. <laughs> she had to stomp out her lines. <laughs> Oh,
3: but um, Winona Ryder was 16 when they filmed this. All the rest of them were in their 20s. I mean, they they were much older, and they uh, maybe it's just you know reminiscing and looking back now that wow, they look way older than most high school students. But mm-hmm.
0: at the time, they looked my age. <laughs> right, but it was just the, mainly the two Heather's because, uh, like you said, Winona and and Christian Slater still is is pretty young at this point.
1: And he looked like a high school kid.
0: Yeah.
3: No, he was. I think he was like nineteen or twenty. He wasn't. He wasn't too old at that point in time.
2: He was only old enough to impersonate Jack Nicholson's early films at that point.
1: He yeah. <laughs> drive around with a gun in his car. Yeah. yeah. the The only actors
0: really of of note, from my perspective, are uh, the aforementioned uh, Winona Ryder, uh, Christian Slater, and then and Otto and, and, <laughs> from uh, Beetlejuice. Yeah, and. Um, Oh and shannon doherty who the the, the two uh, heathers the other or the other two heathers rather really never went on to do anything um, except one of them ended up six feet under uh we 'll talk about that, but those are the three but what I was surprised at how little those three had done prior to this uh, to this film,
3: yeah, Chris and Slater had done name of the Rose. With uh, Sean Connery, where he was essentially the second lead in the film, which I guess drew the attention of Winona Ryder and said we should cast this guy. Winona Ryder had been in Lucas and Square Dance and Beetlejuice the year before this film, and Shannon Doherty was actually the most accomplished actress at that time. She had been in Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And she had a small part in Night Shift, which I don't even remember her in, but she had done a shit ton of television. She'd been she on. She was on our air. house. Okay, if she was at your house, that's fine. I no, no,
4: the-, <laughs> <laughs> the Wilford Brimley television show, our house. She—that's what I always remembered her from before nine hundred two and oh. She was one of the big people in uh, our house with Chad Allen and Wilford Brimley.
0: Oh man, uh, I, I can I can picture this that beginning now that you said Wilford Brimley,
4: and it's good for you. <laughs>
0: But yeah, but this is this really does kind of—they're—they're they're not really established actors, uh, any of them. Uh, the one that I remember with 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 Slater is Pump Up the Volume, which comes out uh, a couple years, uh, a couple years after that, where he he was also he was, in that
4: great skateboarding movie, Gleaming the Cube. Gleaming the Cube, you remember that one?
0: That was the same year as uh, Heather's. And Prime,
4: I was thinking of Rad. Awesome.
0: No, Gleaming the Cube's got nothing on Rad, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and then, of course, you know Jason's favorite, The Legend of Billy Jean, unfortunately, he's not here to go on a rant about uh, how horrible that film is. Fair is fair <laughs> You're not going to be present,
3: t- you can't bitch about it
0: <laughs> <laughs> well the, these weren't the first actors uh, at least looked at for for this film, at least Winona Ryder uh, wasn't the first one uh,
4: that was wanted for
1: for the Veronica. And Jack Nicholson was way too expensive.
4: <laughs> it would require way too much makeup to make him look like a high school student at the time.
3: No, mm-hmm. oh. They wanted Jennifer Connolly, who would have been my preference over Winona Ryder. I like her better than Winona Ryder. Yeah, um, I can't
0: stand Winona Ryder in anything. I'll be honest.
3: It, well, I, I always imagine her as kind of emo, like she is in a Beetlejuice and she's not so much that way in this, but I don't, buy her that much as the popular girl, I, I she she seems to be kind of the outcast to me. That's how I always visualize her. That's the role she seems comfortable in playing.
4: But yeah, Jennifer, well, that's we, what, she didn't. Renona Ryder didn't really fit in. And I think they almost play that up more than they needed to by making her the only person not named Heather. But it was almost – you're watching the movie and you're still trying – you're almost trying to figure out how is it that she's even friends with these people because she doesn't fit with them at all. The first scene that they shoot where she's got – she's buried up to her neck and the croquet ball hits her in the face – that to me like was more of what her role was like in this relationship with these three other girls named Heather. She didn't fit to me as this popular girl. I felt, kind of felt she was out of place there.
0: Yeah, and they don't really—they—they they just reference that she wasn't used to be a nerdy kid, that one of the smart kids, and that she is a smart kid still and has a really high IQ. But never really explain how she becomes uh, one of the one of the cool chicks or the popular uh, in the popular clique.
2: Well, she's she, got you know, money. That's why she's there. I mean, they're at her house playing croquet, um, so they're using her, and uh, she's using her money to uh, buy friends. It's just kind of like a um, high school version of a frat and sorority. That's why the girls go to the frat, um, because that's what they aspire to be in college. Horse. So I I just saw it as um, she bought her way into the Heathers. With pate. With pate. Oh, and it looked pretty damn good.
0: Um, so let, let's talk real quick about Slater, about Christian Slater. Uh, first of all, I, I assume obviously uh, it's it's a it's a blatant uh, attempt to to kind of throw to rebel without a cause and James Dean by calling him Jason Dean or JD. Uh, the most I guess noticeable uh, affectation is his ripoff of of Jack Nicholson. And, and there's a little bit of debate, I guess, about uh, whether or not that was intentional or whether or not that's
2: that's just him well i you, think that was just pure charisma on his part <laughs> <laughs> If that's what you want to call it but
1: <laughs> well that's what, I ori- mean, that's what originally turned me off to this i remember seeing this in 89 and just being like this guy's a douche <laughs> not not even paying any attention to it at that point in time
0: and even in 89 that earring looked uber gay i'm sorry
1: yeah he has got what's is it the morley schaefer he was rocking yeah
0: but, but Patrick, you were watching the commentary, and you said that they did reference that in the commentary.
3: In, in the commentary, they talk about how f- the fallout of the film, one of the criticisms of him just directly ripping off Nicholson, and they said that's not him. I mean, that was basically his... It, his performance—it's—he it, wasn't trying to—he—he he may have done some things that were Nick Nicholson-esque, but that his voice inflection—that is just the way he speaks, which I think is a bunch of shit because he's kind of abandoned that later on in his career. Maybe he's adapted so he doesn't get that because in his earlier films he was very Nicholson-esque.
0: Right, and and what I read was in in my research was that he was specifically trying to model his performance off. Uh, jack nicholson and he certainly does it uh in in later films particularly pump up the volume where he's he's trying to do the same exact thing so uh he, i think i think it's definitely affected uh, at least his performance is, is in, in trying to do it but it is a bit off-putting uh, because it seems a little forced from in wa especially in watching it back uh as an adult
1: it just goes to show you that people will eat shit if you feed it to them because this guy <laughs> became hugely popular didn't he I don't
0: know if he became hugely
3: popular. He had some success for in the early nineties, you know, kind somewhat as a lead actor, and then faded away with his domestic violence troubles. But and alleged then domestic violence. No, I think he wasn't. He convicted at some point or another. So there I think was a lot of them. Was
1: convicted. Oh, of course. Well, she had it coming. So. <laughs> Dressed like that with those shoulder pads, I would have knocked her around. So,
3: but, I mean, then he spun it off into television series, each of them only lasting
1: at least eight or
3: nine episodes. But he he's made a career out of it, but he is not... I don't think he was ever popular. Winona Ryder was the only one, I think, who really became box office popular for a while.
0: I don't know, man. I think
1: for the early 90s, he was... Uh, yeah he was it he's not he ain't gonna end up working at the snappy snack shack that's for sure <laughs> right. yeah,
3: but but what and what would you say was i mean he was in films but he wasn't the lead in a big film
0: broken arrow <laughs> i'm sorry are we forgetting broken arrow but it, it's
3: I, broken I arrow that. john travolta's the lead in that he's the supporting character he's the hero but that would be the one one film you could probably point to and he's not even carrying the film pump up the volume is his film um cuffs Oh,
0: yeah, you're going to point to Cuffs as a successful film? <laughs> I'm just uh, pointing to films he's in.
4: I'm just he was talking. part of that big ensemble cast in Young Guns 2, same time frame.
0: Yeah, and he's big at that point, and he was kind of the, he he was what they injected into the second one, I think, to try to give the second one a little bit. A boost. Yeah, a little little uh, relevancy. Uh, he was the booker. <laughs>
2: He it up. <laughs> he Nicholson did up.
0: Yeah, sure. he was. He was even Nicholson in in the old West in New Mexico yeah. in, in the eighteen hundreds.
3: Yeah, going south too. <laughs> Thanks for getting my reference, Chris. <laughs> Good one. I like that.
0: <laughs> one of the things I thought was interesting is that the uh, a little known actor uh, was also considered for the role, but ultimately determined to be too nice, and he couldn't do Nicholson. Yeah, little little guy named uh, Brad Pitt who went on to not have a successful successful career, unfortunately. But
4: well, that was, Brad Pitt was back. That he he was doing television back during that time frame too. He was doing Dallas, wasn't he? Late '80s. He was in late '80s. He was in uh, yeah a spot in Growing Pains. That's right, Growing guest star oh, in Growing Pains. Yeah, yeah, Growing yeah. Groin pain? Yeah, gro- Well, not to be confused with groin pains, <laughs> the porno
1: so. that they made. I got a copy of that on beta, which is pretty high.
4: Kirk
0: Cameron was not happy with that, with his born-again status. But, <laughs> but you have Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad He'll be left be behind. Growing
1: Pains. <laughs> left behind. That was good. Said, that was good, Sancho. I, I said Brad will be left behind.
3: <laughs> so you Growing the- Pains was the catalyst for launching all the huge actors of the
1: 90s and the 2000s. That are, that are facts of life. This thing was like a like a steady stream of water, but there was like islands of good parts in it. You know, like little rocks jutting out. The the dialogue of the people praying over the two jocks that died. Or no, which crew got killed? Heather. And they were praying over her. The Heather, Heather
3: Chandler. Heather, Chandler.
1: Yeah, Heather won. Uh, so they're praying over here. They had some pretty good pretty good dialogue over that stuff.
4: Yeah, you know, The best the best line in the whole movie is when the, the dad's praying over, I love my dead gay son. That's like yeah, the best I'm line proud. in the whole movie.
1: And I'm proud of him. And I I would argue about the best line in the movie about, um, I love my dead gay son, is uh, when the principal says, I've seen a lot of bullshit, angel dust, switchblades, sexually perverse photographic exhibits involving tennis rackets. <laughs> That's probably the best one. And the guy's delivery was just solid.
0: Yeah, well, let's talk about kind of this this idea of a dark uh, comedy or a black comedy, which I was I was trying to see what other kind of movies were were around or or at least predated this that would be considered a, a black comedy. And did you guys? I mean, do you guys just off of your head? Can you think of of kind of the the famous black comedies that were either around this time or, or after, even even after?
1: Mother Jugs and Speed. <laughs>
0: Uh, you snuck up on me, Sancho.
1: <laughs> well, that had a black guy. It was Bill Cosby. <laughs>
0: Hollywood shuffle.
1: Everything Richard Pryor did seventy <laughs> two seventy nine. Mr. Crazy. Silver Streak.
0: <laughs> no, but, um, you know the one. I, you, obviously, you think of Fargo, right? Is it, but that comes way later.
4: Well, what about like Racing Arizona? You know, where it's like funny to kidnap a baby. Yeah, that's yeah.
1: That's, but that was just goofy all around. This was like pseudo trying to make a statement or you know being dark and then being funny it wasn't consistent either way
4: right
0: i mean it's definitely different i mean they go to another level of of, i guess dark or really disturbing themes and disturbing images even Uh, you know you got american psycho which comes way later you know that that may be closer to this where it's, it's kind of a serial killer but it, it, you really didn't have. Uh,
2: there was "Throw Mama from the Train" a couple of years earlier, though. Yeah, that was a pretty yeah, black comedy. That's pretty
0: close. And this, I think, takes it to another level and is trying to push the envelope with not just the teenage suicide, but you really got the the the, the uh, high school shooting stuff, the high school being exploded. You've got the gay sex stuff. You've got the sword fighting. The, the image, the one scene that that might be. One of the most well done, I guess, just just visually is after she goes down on the guy, the one Heather, and then they show her in the bathroom wiping her mouth. It's just pretty. It's pretty disturbing. Yeah, Matt. We know that girls always swallow with you, but
3: you know they don't need to wipe their mouth. But yeah,
0: that's why <laughs> tell them they need to stay down there for a little while long. <laughs> this is kind of the first, maybe not dark comedy, but it's certainly the would be the first one. Uh, that's applied in the in the teen context in order to set off a subgenre of these these teen movies. And some of these ones I, I had written down was like Mean Girls, you got Election, you got Jawbreaker, you got uh, But I'm a Cheerleader, that seemed to follow in this same vein of fairly kind of real adult themes uh, and stories, but trying to do it in this real kind of
1: hip, peppy type of way like Heathers did. I think these are like angry chick flicks. I think they were real popular with the ladies.
2: Well, it was also kind of an uh, anti-Ferris Bueller Breakfast Club sort of thing. It was kind of like, you know, we've done these, it's starting to play out. uh, And then some filmmakers like, I'm going to make my version, and it's going to be a lot more real than this little bubblegum teenage crap. I mean yeah, but it's ha- not
4: real. It's it's completely surreal and superficial. There's nothing real about this. It's, you know, they they try and portray high school as being this angst-ridden time with these cliques and whatnot, which it is to a certain extent, but it never goes to the point of people murdering other people in their schools because of these cliques with the obvious glaring exceptions of things like Columbine, but it, they don't make it very realistic in its portrayal. Well, you talk about
0: Columbine. How interesting that the, the the murderer really in this scene does wear the black trench coat that became synonymous with those with the Klebolds and the uh, you know that kid, the other kid from uh, from Columbine. Yet you, you didn't hear any Clampett. It. It, you... Jed Clampett. It. <laughs> it was Jed Clampett, wasn't it?
2: <laughs> I think Super Mario also wore a black trench coat when he was doing his killing. <laughs>
0: Uh. Send comments to Chris at (laughs) lunchtimemoviereview.com. Well, you know it's interesting
3: because I—that was when I was watching it and watching that scene in particular. You know, that was kind of my first thought: is that anybody look at this film? I mean, I know they like to jump on video games and other films, but. I mean, this is almost like it was taken out of that page, and even his message is that those kids were outcasts, and you know, he's kind of an outcast, and you want to take out the popular people and you know, clean the slate. I mean, that seems to be what J.D.'s message is in this entire film.
0: No, I'm with yeah. you 100%, Patrick. That's what I was struck by, is how uh, how similarly this kind of lined up to Columbine with uh, the, the outcast kid going after the jocks and the cool kids. And, and I never heard this being talked about, uh, around this time and maybe there was just so much time removed but i do see this as lining up more than uh, the things that they were pointing to at the time
3: and that it made just over a million dollars matt so so very few people saw this f- <laughs> film <the> Star- <laughs>
0: <laughs> at least in the movie theater and that and that, that does kind of bring us to you know this is obviously one that we're willing to review you know so it's so it's a, a film that became Part of the, uh, you know, somewhat of an iconoclast or some, somewhat part of, uh, part of the pop culture, and and what what do we attribute that to?
4: I oh, I think part of it is probably the success that some of the leads went on to have. Shannon Doherty in Nine Hundred Two and O became huge. Uh, Winona Ryder has had a very long career and and got really popular in the early '90s with this movie and Beetlejuice and. And other movies, and I think probably that's what's contributed. To, you know, I didn't see it in the theater. I don't remember when I first saw it. Probably sometime in the early nineties after it was out on, uh, on video or on HBO or something. But uh, I think it was because there was a lot of people that became much more popular later on. And you look back and you say, "Hey, they're in this quirky, dark movie about suicide, and maybe we should watch that now too."
3: Well, you know, well actually, I kind of disagree with that. Is I, I think this helped get those actors famous, but. You know, I was a senior in high school when this came out in video, and I didn't see it in the theaters either, as, as well as no one else in the world, but I remember people talking about it when it came out on video, and that's what caused me to go watch it. Some of the, the people I hung out with in high school had mentioned, hey, I saw this film, and it was it was kind of cool. That was all it was described as is kind of cool. and. And, and I was entertained by it back then. And, and I think it grew, had a kind of this minor cult following that continues to fall to this day. And the fact that the, all the actors went on to bigger things has brought even more attention to it now because it really was a, a nothing film. It wasn't made by anybody well-known, didn't star anybody well-known, and didn't make any money.
0: Interesting. Do you guys think that, this, that they were trying to make a social commentary piece with this?
3: yeah I absolutely do think they were trying to make a social commentary piece i think, I think that was their intention. If you listen to the commentary that they wanted to, they felt that they were dealing with it in a an extreme way of showing the differences of the classes in uh, society of high school the the different cliques and groups and how how they interact with each other, and how this confrontation that, you know that it, it easily could explode that you know, driving someone to do the extreme because the extreme makes an impression.
1: This is the, you know, juxtaposed Breakfast Club right here. This is 1988-89 post or, you know, Nirvana or emerging type of stuff. This is the answer to the Breakfast Club. This this movie was the last 20 minutes of Breakfast Club riddled with angst and nihilism and just you know snarky unhappiness so you've you've got the same message that you know can't we all just get along kind of a thing because we're all in this together yet heathers takes it to another extent where they're killing people and and they make it funny and dark comedy by making it out to be you know repressed homosexual suicide pacts and and the guys buried in their helmets and stuff but it's just—it's just a retread. It's not anything new. It,
0: it's, it's just. Well, actually, I, I almost take it like. It, but it's almost a hopeless version of Breakfast Club And that with Breakfast Club, it's like, yeah, we can all kind of uh, find some common ground and whatnot. Where they don't in this one. In this one, they kind of maintain that the cool kids will always be cool kids, and the and the nerds will always be nerds, and there really won't be that. Uh, That connection between them. And I I get how Winona is like, well, now she goes and embraces dump truck or whatever. But at the same time, the cool kids are still the cool kids and the nerds are still the nerds and they will never connect.
4: Well and, and the char- but the characters are even they 're not characters they 're more characters they 're like surreal extreme versions of all of those you 've got the the popular girls with the crazy shoulder pads and the big hair and the dump truck character instead of just making someone who 's a little bit chunky, they pick the biggest girl they can and the the jocks that end up uh, getting killed are crazy homophobe. Gay bashing, bullies that are beating up people all the time. They, they just take these characters and blow them up. And even the the principal and all of those staff yep, members right, were the, trying to help cope with that.
0: The kind of the, the kind of granola hippie te- uh, teacher.
1: Right. Okay. <laughs> well,
0: I did the teacher did crack me up? though. Was, what was the line that she kept saying? Is that whether or not to kill yourself is the most important decision you ever make. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That was a good that was a good line. and it was Team suicide don't do it don't do it
0: and also the what, what I, the other thing I thought was interesting is just kind of this and this is why I do think it's social comment one of the other reasons why I think it's social commentary is this embracing of uh, you know the gay kids for example even though they weren't gay whatever you got the guy saying I'm proud of my kid he's uh, kind of this this uh, throw to you know we need to embrace uh, I guess homosexuality or whatever or or, or, the, or anti Homophobia, I guess. Um, what about the? What about just visually? What? What? What you guys? What stood out to you guys about the film visually?
2: What <laughs> stood out to me was whenever there was Heather doing murder, people were bathed in blue light or something blue on them. Uh, like the the first killing, uh, Heather had the blue potion, the the Drano. The Jocks were killed in their blue underwear. Even uh, Christian Slater's character was shot in blue light there' first uh, Heather
1: blew that one dude.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Winona was actually in a blue-lit uh, alleyway when she got sick. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the guys, um, when they were cow tipping, it was blue light that she was running away from all of the heathers were each signified by their color um of course they all wanted to be the red color which is the symbol of love and all the, and everybody in the school only wanted to be loved so that was the color to be achieved you know you even have the the green heather fighting veronica for the little red scrunchie in the movie so this was very um heavily symbolic with colors right
0: and the jd character was always in black
2: always in black um, and,
0: and what I was struck by, is in addition to the colors, was just how bright and and peppy it, it was visually, basically throughout the whole uh, the whole thing. So you got this dark comedy, but it's 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 it is presented in almost a you know Alice in Wonderland esque image, and and I think that's stolen down the road with films like uh, But I'm a Cheerleader, uh, which which does the same thing, Jawbreaker. Um, and, and, and some of those other films that come uh, that come after.
2: Well, I think they're also going for like a, a fake look to these to si- signify the, the people's fakeness. You know, the, the Heathers all are very, they're not real to each other, both personality-wise and visually. And so in the world that they live in, even their house, uh, their entire lifestyle from uh, waking up to going to bed is in a fake world that uh yeah they play really croquet they for
4: crying out loud who plays croquet
3: who
1: plays croquet and who eats pate honestly <laughs>
3: well and even the way they uh, also the way they use colors that you know heather chandler is, is red that's her color it, at the beginning of the film heather duke goes and gets her gets her ball or something, and, she, and Heather Chandler says, I'm red. I'm always red. You know that. And Heather Duke wants to become Heather Chandler and ultimately does later in the mm-hmm. film where she gets the red bandana. I mean, that's her secret desire. And so it's not... It, I mean, they, they use it for... To effect, I mean, it's a, it's a basic, simple effect. But you know, it's the subtext. I, I didn't pick up on the color, the colors of the scenes, until this most recent time when I was watching it. That whenever there something was going on, blue was there.
2: Mm-hmm. And when so, uh, the yellow Heather went to kill herself, what color were the pills in her mouth? Right, orange, yellow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! No, orange was,
2: orange was the color it. of the friend uh, playing croquet. The, the Betty Finn? That, the the one that was the outsider, the girl with the glasses. Betty Finn. Uh, yeah. The, yeah Betty it? Betty and Veronica.
3: The re- yeah, picked, uh yeah. Betty Finn played by Renee Estevez, the sister of uh Emilio and Charlie Sheen. Yeah,
0: but yeah. it was Betty and Veronica, and that was that was intentional, as is, is uh mm-hmm. Veronica and Betty from uh Archie Comics.
2: And orange is also the color of tigers, which is uh where Charlie Sheen uh, got his tiger. Tiger shows. blood, yeah. <laughs> It's tiger blood. Good point.
0: Now, did you guys notice the kind of these awkward dream sequences, kind of out of nowhere? You, you talked about the first scene where her head is out of the the ground, in, in the first croquet scene, and then you've got one of the death scenes where the all the all the people are in, or all the students are in, uh, kind of robes like like graduation robes. The, I mean, it seemed like they were going for something else, as like what really is real and what is not real, but then, but then abandoned it uh, after the fact. But I don't.
1: I think it was just. I think it was just weak storyline, and and Winona Ryder to me was not believable as a likable person. You didn't really get that like they're the bitches, I'm the nice one. There was just like this whole blend, and there was like no conflict with her at all, except whatever it was with, uh, you know, James Daniels, whatever. It just didn't seem real believable. I didn't I didn't think dark comedy or not, I just think it was so loose that yeah, it just drifted from like these lame dream sequen- sequences and back. It just Well and I
0: agree with you. She she they she kind of abdicates responsibility that she had in both the Chandler murder where she, she knows that the guy that she's got the cup that's supposed to make her sick versus him who's got the poison and then she flat out shoots the dude, knowing what's going on at that point but yet they kind of try to make it sound like she's been duped. So I, I agree with you. I think loose is a really good description of kind of the uh, the story and what they were trying to accomplish.
1: And the other Heather's Vaginas, it's also a good adjective. Very loose. Adjective. Yeah, very loose.
2: You know, I, every time I've watched this, I've always wondered if they had intended to make this uh, a questionable, the whole movie being a dream scene. Exactly, um, me too. You know, um, because it, it starts off with her writing in the diary, uh, writing down whatever she wants, and uh, they very easily could have just made this one big dream sequence, or her writing in her diary what she would like to do to uh, the other Heather's.
0: Well, and I do think it's interesting what the original ending was, and that's kind of what lends me to believe that that's what they were going for: is this, I, this, this kind of twist ending at the end. And the, the original ending was that Christian... So she, she, she's in the basement and the bomb's going off and Christian Slater's going to uh, blow up the entire school uh, with this kind of mass suicide a la uh, Jim Jones or something. But And she's not... The, the, the original ending is that she's not able to stop the bomb from counting down and she kind of comes out and she's also strapped to a bomb and it all goes up. And, and then they show uh, kind of another scene where they're at a prom, and they start showing all the people who have died previously coming into, coming into the scene, and, and, and then you see crossover amongst the clips, like Dump Truck is, is dancing with the cool kids, and, and so you start seeing those, those clicks converging, and the, the Heathers kind of uh, doing a ring around the rosy thing, and it was, was supposed to be an idea that everyone does die, in, this, in, in, the, uh, in the school and Christian and Slater's character JD at some point does say well the only way all cliques can get together is in heaven and so it's supposed to be kind of a, a throw to that which is yeah they all die and this is the only time anyone can r- really get along which I think then all those dream sequences and everything start kind of making sense and then it becomes a, they go all the way again with a dark film which I think would have been a, a little more interesting and a little more compelling than what they did
2: Well, how would those kids in Columbine been able to blow up the whole school too? I think we're just in a way we're just blessed that they didn't go with that ending.
0: Patrick, what's your what's your take on uh, on Heather's?
3: I really liked this film when I saw it. When I saw it, I was seventeen at the time, so I was probably the target demographic. Um, I really enjoyed it. I saw the Christian Slater, you know, impersonation of Nicholson for what it was. Uh, I was entertained by it then. It's worn a little thin in the repeat viewings since then. I actually still like the film. I still enjoy the film. It's it's not one that I enjoy nearly as much as I used to. I do think it's very dated. Uh, a lot of the dialogue, uh, the "fuck me gently with a chainsaw," uh, you know, stop pulling my dick. It does seem a little stilted. Although I thought they were very funny back then, and I do think they're iconic to this film. Um, I don't think it. That, that kind of dialogue doesn't play well with teenagers today or even audiences today. And so the people who liked it back then are the only ones who are probably going to
1: like it now.
0: All right. Sancho, you want to bring us home with Heather's?
1: I thought this movie was very. That's a little play on. I not <laughs> if you didn't see it. Uh, I thought it. Uh, I don't know. I wasn't feeling it. I, I remember not being moved by it at all at the time. Uh, I didn't think it. I didn't get all of the stuff that you guys really got into it, mostly because I'm not a very bright fellow. But uh, other than that, um, yeah, I thought it was really played out, aside from Otto and a couple of the other things that I, I didn't think it was worthy of watching. In fact, the second time, just recently watching it again for this, I, I had a hard time sitting through it. I was kind of like ready to shut it off a few times. Mm-hmm. So it sucked. That's my take.
0: It sucked mm-hmm. from Sancho. Uh, Chris, what, what's your take?
2: Uh, my take is that uh, Sancho wanted to be a football player in this movie. <laughs> I'm
1: wearing my blue one.
2: I've always liked this movie. I've never cared for the Christian Slater part. Uh, I, I think I just don't care for Christian Slater's acting style. Uh, but um, I always I liked it when I first saw it. Uh, I kind of agree with Patrick that it's kind of dated now. I think it's uh, it's extremely campy in some sections now but overall i still like this movie
4: Bill, yeah i remember liking it back when i was in high school and i actually watched it just just because a couple of months ago and i didn't like it as much now as i remembered liking it back then Uh, i agree that there were some parts that i think were a bit Overdone, and uh, I think "campy" is a pretty good word for it. I think a lot of the dialogue probably was forced. Uh, I don't think it really holds up. You know, when you when you look back at some of the iconic movies of the '80s, I think that the the box office probably got this one right in terms of the amount of money it made, and um, I think that it has some witty lines i still think that i love my dead gay son is a great line um one of the better lines in the movie and uh there's moments i think in this movie that are really well done but i I think the rest of it felt a little bit too characterized and a little bit too forced and just kind of an all right film
0: yeah i don't uh i don't remember loving it as a in high school um, at least when I saw it on VHS, probably my sophomore junior year, uh, and, and I agree with the most part with what what everyone said, except I do think it commits to being a dark comedy, and it goes all the way with with very disturbing uh, themes and and concepts. And it does set off a, a subgenre of dark teen comedy, and so from that perspective, because I do think it it sets it off, it stands the test of time because it is kind of the first that does that, and it it, it does go kind of deeper and darker than than films that even come after it. Even though it is visually it's dated um, with the with the big hair and the shoulder pads and 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 that and the cliche uh, dialogue, uh, the fact that they do commit to a very very disturbing dark comedy, I think works. And I do think it's campy, and I do think it's intentionally campy. And so from that perspective, I'll say uh, uh, Heather's better now probably than even even then. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I know. Check check me out. Although I hate Winona mm-hmm. Ryder
2: <laughs> completely. <sighs> I've always liked Winona Ryder. She's just I got always a liked, different uh, style.
1: Patrick Le- Le Bortreau, the guy who played Ram. Big fan of him on Little House on the Prairie.
0: Yeah, it was an NCIS. Oh, you know there is one. The, the fact that I did want to throw out there, I don't know if you guys saw that there were two of these actors died. Uh, Who's that? The, there was the the one Heather, and I forget which Heather it was. If it was Heather Yellow, uh, old Heather. Yeah, one of the old heathers. Uh, but she died of a brain tumor, and there's the line that she's involved with where it says, "What did you What did you eat a tumor for breakfast?" And she dies of a uh, brain tumor, and then there's the kid who's one of the friends who is over uh, the heather who says, "Man, it would really suck to commit suicide, or I'd never commit suicide, or something like that." And he goes Kurt Cobain in 2000 and uh, kills himself.
1: He released
2: a gold record. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nope, shot, shotgun, shotgun to shot, shotgun oh. to the face, my friend.
1: No kidding. What's his name?
0: Oh, it's like uh, Patrick LeBarrett or something. Uh, I forget offhand, but he's uh, the kind of the little kid uh, in there that says, you know, I'd never commit suicide, or how terrible would
4: it be to commit suicide? No, he's it's it's when he's praying over the first Heather yeah. at the funeral, and he's like, "Please help me never to commit suicide," or something like that. Yeah, that's
2: that's it. Yep. So, see the one going to Harvard
4: in the movie? Mm, sure maybe i think he is yeah i think he's praying he he, after he prays not to commit suicide he might be the one that prays to get into a good ivy league college preferably harvard or cornell or something like that yeah
0: yeah so i thought that that is kind of an interesting one of those uh oh you call it the curse of heathers i guess but uh kind of an interesting little little anecdotes with this uh uh with this film
2: you know what i Thought was interesting this uh, last time that I watched it because I hadn't seen it in about five or six years. Was even with all the killings and the, the different uh, topics, I just found myself saying, I can't believe they're smoking in this film. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if it's because people don't smoke in films anymore, but uh, the, the teachers in the lounge puffing away on uh, pipes and cigars, and I don't know, it just seemed kind of weird to me.
1: Yeah, I think I don't, remember, I don't remember being able to smoke a bong in the bathroom. No, either, or smoking a joint during an assembly.
2: Yeah, and almost uh, burning your uh, bomb uh, with the match. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> you got to be careful with that stuff.
0: He did also go all um, kind of wild e coyote with kind of the, the the cylinder uh, bomb uh, pack there that, that you that you mm-hmm. see. Everyone knows you go C four if you're gonna blow up a school.
2: Well, I think he learned that from Daddy, and uh, Daddy uses uh, low-grade stuff when he's uh, <laughs> blowing up his tenant's buildings. Yeah. And his
1: wife. That's And right. his wife. you going to eat this? And what did your boyfriend say when you told him you were moving to Sherwood, Ohio? Answer him, Dick. Hey, Ram, doesn't this cafeteria have a no-fags-allowed rule? Oh, yeah. They seem to have an open-door policy for assholes, though, don't they?
4: What did you say, dickhead? I'll repeat myself.
0: All right. Well, that is Heather's. Uh, check us out on Facebook and check out the blogs and polls and articles on lunchtimemoviereview.com. And keep listening. We're getting out of here right now, and you guys are invited.
4: Teenage suicide. Autohead. suicide. She blew it. Teenage suicide. Talk to it. suicide. Cry!
3: This podcast is not endorsed by Anchor Bay Entertainment and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Heather's, all names and sounds of Heather's characters, and any other Heathers-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Anchor Bay Entertainment or their respective trademark and or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Lunchtime Movie Review, Movie House Memories, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment LLC, unless otherwise noted.